Sam. And we are here today with another great episode, but first we have a very, very special guest. And Sam, can you please do the honors of introducing our guest tonight? Of course. So I, I'm currently at my childhood home for the holidays, and I have sitting next to me uh, my father, and he's going to be a guest on the first segment of this podcast, and we're just going to talk a little, a little New York sports, mainly the Jets and Mets. Might throw in just some quick thoughts about the Knicks with the NBA season starting tomorrow. Uh, after you know my my father gives his thoughts on New York sports, we're going to run through some of the recent signings in the MLB. But after that, we're going to give you guys an NBA preview for the 2020-2021 season as the season will begin tomorrow. We're recording Monday night, December 21st. Uh, Anything else to add, Aaron? Or do you want to get into this special New York sports segment? Let's get into this very special uh, New York sports segment. I know we have a lot of listeners out here local to Sam and I in the uh, greater New York area. And we have a here tonight with us a lifelong resident of New York, um, born and bred, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? That is correct. All right. Um, so with that, I'll... What would you like to talk about? What going on in New York City right now that's uh, really got your attention in the sports world? So, I mean, I know we were watching a game together yesterday, the New York Jets game, and, the, you know, New York Jets fans, of course, we were 0-13. We were hoping to go 0-16 to secure a generational quarterback prospect in Trevor Lawrence in the draft, and the Jets unexplicably won a game against <laughs> Los Angeles Rams. <laughs> What, what were your reactions to that game, Dad? Uh, it was, uh, you know, the Jets find a way of uh, messing up even by winning. And, uh, <laughs> now, you know, the last time they were 17 and a half point favorites, they uh, they won against the, the Baltimore Colts in the Super Bowl. So that's not a good number for them. Uh, it's it, not a good timeline for them either, to be honest. That's true. That is a long time ago. Um, yeah, no, it's it was a very kind of confusing experience because I would say, ninety nine percent of the time you're the the uh, the desires of the fans and the team are the same, but here it wasn't, and it was you know you felt oh you know the Jets as a team want to win right, and, but as a fan you want them to lose, so we're sitting there with such a strange experience wanting them to lose and, and rooting for them to lose. And then when um, Darnold hit that last pass that uh, got the last um, first down that kind of cemented the game, it was like, wow, it was like just your, your mind was just swimming with like, this is crazy. I'm rooting against my favorite team. <laughs> and, uh, but yet that's what happened. And uh, hopefully they... Uh, Jacksonville messes up and they uh, they get the first uh, they get Trevor Lawrence, but uh, I think it's just in the comma that the uh, Jets aren't going to do it. But yeah, I will say that bound for it. the yeah. Jags still have the Bears next week, and while the Bears have been playing well, you can never really trust Mitchell Trubisky to to not have a terrible game and maybe oh. maybe throw a win. So I you know I don't want to count the Jets totally out from still getting Trevor Lawrence. But but let me ask you, Dad. You know, wait—is it out? Are, are they, as the season stands right now, the number two pick? 
That's right. And and the reason being that the Jaguars have more or less clinched the tiebreaker, which is strength of schedule. Uh, uh, so the Jets are, are almost certainly going to have the harder strength of schedule. And the way the tiebreaker works is that if you have a weaker strength of sc- schedule, you're sort of considered to be the worst team because you got the same record against a worse competition. Right. So, so the Jaguars are going to win that tiebreaker. So the Jets really need the Jaguars to win one more game and also lose their remaining two games. It's also weird because... You know, as a Jets fan, we were certainly worried that the Jets were going to win a game, but it wasn't this one. You know, I I was looking ahead to Week 17 against the Patriots, a team that was now eliminated from the playoffs. You know, maybe they're not playing their starters Week 17. And that was the game I was worried about. I certainly didn't think there was any like world or imagination (laughs) where they were going to beat the Rams. Yeah, you know, as we were watching it, you just saw it unfold that, like, everything— went wrong or right for the Jets based on what you want to look at it. And it was, yeah, it was a, um, and they, yeah, it was really the most upsetting win I ever saw as a a Jet fan, I have to say. The other thing that's surprising about that game too is I feel like at this time of the season, you see weird things like that happen as teams like don't really care because they're in for sure and they like rest players. The Rams are like fighting to win the division and not have to worry about a wild card for them to drop that game to the Jets like, you know, all power to the Jets. Congratulations, Sam Darnold's a revelation. But what are the Rams doing there? They got to win that game. I mean, Sam Darnold played a a nice game of football. It's the best game he's played this year. The, the, The two the two pieces that, you know, I'm trying to look for reasons to be optimistic, you know. One was Quinnen Williams was an absolute game wrecker. You know, he was basically the Aaron Donald of the Jets that game, just getting into the backfield every second. That's an incredible piece to have moving forward. The other is that they have a generational left tackle (laughs) that you can build your offense around. I mean, this has got to become a left-handed offense in future years and run behind the big ticket Mackay Becton on Highway 77. That's good. Highway 77. We need a uh, we need an audio clip in the background. <laughs> it's like a car horn and uh, someone yeah. saying the big ticket every time you bring it up. So, so let me ask you uh, one more question about this, Dag, and that's basically, you know, okay, let's say we don't get Trevor Lawrence. We have the number two pick. Do do you think the Jets should go quarterback at number two, or do you think it's do you think we, we give Sam Darnold one more chance with a new, more competent coaching staff? Yeah, I you know, I think, you know, you know how much you could change in a game. But I think everything changed in, in that game if it, it stays this way. And I think Darnold, you know, based how he performed and I think he does have potential. And I think unless you have a generational quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, I, I think you have to stick with Darnold and and use your draft pick to make your team stronger because they have a lot of deficiencies in other areas. So that's where I'm sitting now. I may shift uh, next week, but I think uh, <laughs> that's that's where I say. I mean, Donald looked okay, and uh, so you know, it's the others are you know any quarterback you never know. So uh, and I, who are the I mean, other top QBs on the list? Sam? I mean, I think it's it would be between Justin Fields and Zach Wilson. Um, Fields was was sort of early in the season playing really well and some people are even being like you know is there a question between him and Lawrence 
but he's really taken a step back the last few weeks. And actually, Zach Wilson of BYU is rising up a lot of draft boards. People, a lot of people are seeing him as the yeah, CBS has him as the yeah, Jets projected picker. as the number two quarterback. And, and you know, here's the thing: you know, Darnold's looked bad this year. There's no question about it. Um, and I, you know, I've been a, a huge Darnold believer, and it's really it's been hard for me to to admit you know, this, this isn't going to work out. I, I, I truly thought he was going to be, you know, a top five quarterback in the league with the Jets. So like my heart wants them to give him one more chance if, if Lawrence isn't an option, but you know, maybe they just have to look at the tape this year and say, this isn't going to work out. We have to move with a new guy. And you know, the one thing is though, like if you think Darnold can be like an average or above average quarterback in a new system. The talent's certainly there. Then there is the added benefit is like you can add another really great piece with that number two or three peak pick without having to spend it on a quarterback. So like there is some value to be gained in being able to like say, okay, we have Darnold at quarterback. Can we add another piece around him? Um, also, let me just say about Justin Fields really quick. Never draft a quarterback from Ohio State. I don't know why, but they're always great at Ohio State. They're never good in the NFL. Like the best quarterback they've ever played in the NFL was Troy Smith. And that's just not, that's, that's not what you want your standard to be. So I would say you'll have to see what the draft board looks like, but I don't know if there's anyone on there that's worth, uh, that's worth definitely moving on from Darnold from. He's, he's not that bad. He's really played with absolutely nothing his whole career. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, fingers crossed that Jacksonville will will still win a game in these last two weeks. Uh, but with that, let's move to another New York sports team that I think we're a bit more optimistic about, and that's the New York Mets. And there's one, you know, the Mets are, of course, being viewed as big players for a lot of big free agents this, this offseason, you know, with, with Steve Cohen being the new owner. And one of those free agents that people, a lot of people linked them to was JT Real Muto. They, they were seen as... There's there's this opening at catcher. Uh, the Jets, uh, sorry, the Mets don't have don't have a catcher right now. JT Real Muto is the best catcher in baseball. This seems like a natural fit. But the Jets decided to go in another. Sorry, the Mets decided to go in another direction. And this this past week they signed uh, James McCann for four years, forty million. And I was wondering, you know, what what did you think of this signing? The the decision to go, to sort of go with McCann as as sort of the first big signing after Trevor May of the offseason. And, and sort of and and cement him as their catcher. Yeah, I, I thought it was a good move. I think it really has signified that um, the new Met regime, Alderson and the new general manager, are really thinking things through. Because I think Riomuto would have been a um, a big name, but I think you don't lose that much with McCann for much less money. And I think that that leaves the Mets having, you know, the options to to fill in their other deficiencies, especially uh, center field and pitching. So overall, I, I think it was a really good move. And it was a move that was kind of counter the way they used to, you know, go before where they just, you know, would get like a big name that, you know, wasn't really made sense and would kind of um, leave them with a big contract that would, you know, kind of cripple them for years. So I actually, I really like it. And, and McCann seems like, uh, you know, a, a guy who's going to help the Mets. Yeah, I mean, so I, let me give my thoughts on it, then maybe you could give yours, Aaron. Um, 
So, I mean, okay, the first question, the first thing to say is this is this is an instant upgrade for the Mets at the catcher position. I mean, the catcher position's been a black hole for them, you know, especially last season. where Wilson Even after Ramos, they got Wilson Ramos, who yeah. could have guessed? Um, so, yeah, you know, this is an instant upgrade. So let's say that. The other thing I'll say is that, you know, my thoughts on this move depends a lot on what happens next. If it opens the door to the Mets getting George Springer and or Trevor Bauer, I'm all for it. Uh, I think it's, you know, I'll take the downgrade from Real Muto here to to get the, the upgrade at these other positions. Um, but I will say in a vacuum, and, and the other thing I'll say is that, you know, it also depends how much Real Muto's market develops. Because, you know, if it's four years, 40 for McCann and Real Mugo ends up going, you know, four years, 60, four years, 75. That really seems like, you know, I really would prefer Real Mugo at that price. If it ends up being, you know, four years, 100, then I, you know, I start to like the savings you're getting with McCann. But, you know, the thing to remember. I think, I think Real Mugo could be more than four years, 100. Yeah, I mean, we'll see, you know, he lost you know, the biggest player in the market for him. So we'll, we'll see how this develops. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the, the thing that I, uh, I'll say about McCann is that I'm not totally sold on him. Uh, because we're only two years removed from him being DFA'd by the Tigers. And yeah, he was, he's been, so 2019, he had a 109 WRC plus played average defense at the catcher position. Uh, and, you know, he was an all-star that year. It was a good year. Um, Did he play average defense at the catcher? We can go back to this, but this is actually my qualm with him. I'm I'm worried that he's not a good fielder. Yeah, we, we can come back to that. Uh, and I think it's a fair worry. Um, 2020, in a 30-game sample, he had a 144 WRC+. plus. But if you, if you look at his expected WOBA... Th- uh, this past year, it's really basically exactly in line with what it was the year before. 329 this past mm-hmm. year versus 327 the year before. So I think there's some evidence that it, it was a bit of small sample size luck. Uh, and you know, if, if he is a 110 WRC plus catcher, like that's that's certainly nothing to scoff at. I mean, that's basically what Real Mugo has been over the course of his career. Yeah. It's yeah. not like it's not like Real Mugo is like a, a annual 140 WRC plus guy. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, that's really only, you know, a, a season worth of plague appearances. So, you know, I, I'm worried that he goes back to the guy he was before this. And then uh, you mentioned the fielder fielding. So last year, the 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 framing stats really liked him. Um, and there's in some, 2020. Yeah, exactly. In 2020. Yeah. And there's some, you know, reports that that people like, you know, that he made some changes that make him a better framer, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, maybe that's all true. And, like, maybe he, he has improved as a framer. Maybe the, the strides he's made as a hitter are real. And if all of these things continue, then I think it's a great signing. But, you know, I'm not totally sold that they will. And mm-hmm. that's why, you know, I do think Real Mugo is much more of a sure thing. I think there's a world where their production is not so different over the next couple of years, and this looks great. I also think there's a world where McCann looks – where this contract looks really bad for the Mets in a couple of years. So – you know, I, if they get Springer and Bauer, and or Bauer, I think it's all worth it. But I'm not, I'm not as gun ho on it as you. So, I first off, thank you for bringing that 
perspective. Those were uh, two different ways to look at the same signing for the Mets. Um, but I think there is reason, as you guys both said, for a lot of optimism here. Like for the last two years, he has not only been a very productive offensive catcher, he's looked like a very offensive productive, uh, a good offensive producing catcher. But when you see a guy go from, you know, WRC pluses in the 50s and 60s to breaking out immediately to 110, 144 last year. And again, I think Sam correctly identified as a little bit small sample size. For me, if I see that, I want to be able to point to, and maybe it's just a comfort thing, but I want to be able to point to something and say, okay, this flipped for him and he was able to take the next step as a hitter. But like when you look at his breakdown and like he's had basically the same launch angle since 2016, he's been trying to pump it up there. In fact, 2019 was his lowest launch angle uh, since his rookie season at like less than 11 degrees. As you said, Sam, his expected WOBA has been like pretty steady throughout his career um, within like 40 points of each other. Like nothing, his K rate has stayed basically exactly the same. His walk rate has basically stayed the same since 2016. His hard hit rate definitely jumped in 2019. So he's hitting the ball harder. Um, but there's just not a like convincing enough portrait here to me of somebody who like kind of totally reinvented himself as a hitter. So I think the hitting worry, worry is legitimate. And then for the defense, this, you bring up a great point. He was a good framer last year by advanced metrics, but when you break it down on StatCast, you see that there's one single place that he improved. He was basically the same everywhere, which is really good on the inside and outside part of the plate bad like up and down but last year he was pretty good down in the middle of the plate which is super important in baseball right now since everybody throws change-ups and sliders and things that you want in the middle of the plate playing off your fastball going down so that could be real and like he might actually be a little bit better catcher than uh defensively than we thought but to me if he if the defense isn't there at, at a very above average level the offense is a little scary to gamble on but we'll have to see. He could end up just being a great signing at basically 10 mil AAV and being a top uh, five offensive catcher in baseball, playing good defense. You're going to be pretty happy with that. Fingers crossed. Um, so the, the other piece of Mets news I wanted to discuss, and maybe it's hard to really have much of an opinion on this because, you know, you don't know much about, about general managers before they, they start doing things. But, but did you, do you have any thoughts on the Jared Porter signing? He seemed to be um, in the kind of new model of general manager where he's bright, young, um, he's had experience. So, yeah, I mean, I very kind of optimistic. He seems like an Alderson protege in terms of taking his spot after Alderson maybe moves up. So, yeah, no, I'm again, I'm just so optimistic about the Mets. You can't bring me down. So I, I uh, think that I think that's, that's right. the spot that a lot of us are in right yeah. now. And, you know, b before we let you go, uh, well, actually, Aaron, do you have any thoughts? Because he, he's coming out of the Diamondbacks organization. You know, that's really my only thought is he's coming from such a gold standard organization <laughs> um, out there in the desert that I think you guys are definitely getting a good one. So so then the the one last piece of, of New York sports news I wanted to ask you before before we boot mm -hmm. you, Dad, mm -hmm. is... Um, you know, any, any thoughts on the Knicks as the season nears, uh, you know, two days before, before the first game, of course, the Knicks are a team, you know, I think over the, over my lifetime that we've been the least optimistic. <laughs> uh, 
in 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 some but you know and any reasons for optimism this well year? i think you know optimism is a relative term <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I think i don't expect them to win very much but i, I hope that they're more entertaining and that there is a potential there that possibly could bring in some uh, free agents down the line and you know uh that uh, the new point guard quickly is that quickly quickly which is yeah. a great name actually um, I, I think he's good. Um, you know, I'm not, you know, kind of, uh, sold on anybody else. Um, but you'll see, I, you know, I, you'll see with the new coach, how that works. I think they are putting more concentration on defense. They're going to play harder. So again, all I want is some Friday nights to put the game on. So I'm not <laughs> bored out of my mind <laughs> and I could watch the game and have some interest in it, you know, that goes past the first quarter. So that's really all I'm asking. I will for. say that they were one of the most impressive teams throughout the preseason <laughs> and, you know, championships aren't won in the preseason, but, you know, we might be in a couple months looking back and saying, after watching those preseason performances, how did we not see this, you know, mm -hmm. two, three seed in the East coming? <laughs> <laughs> well, you make a great point. Championships aren't won in the preseason, but no team has ever won a championship without the preseason. So don't that, that's exactly that's good. right. But and this is just a special year as well, as they had, I think, three preseason games. Something <laughs> 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 of that sort. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's the Alonzo Betts uh, special. New York sports bad edition segment. <laughs> uh, we uh, you'll notice we didn't discuss the Yankees and Giants. Uh, because that's that's the not real New York. This yeah. was the real New York. Um, but yeah, you know, we're very honored that you that you came on to to give your thoughts on on these teams. We hope you enjoyed your time here. Yeah, thank you very much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime. I am with that. We will uh, say goodbye to to my father for for the episode. But but we've got a, a bunch of material left for you guys. We got a little more baseball to discuss, and we've got the. Uh, the, the NBA preview uh, to go with it. But with that, let me shake my father's hand and say goodbye. Zoom shake for me as well. I'm nowhere near my camera either. I moved my <laughs> computer. I'm just shaking towards my monitor. Well, thank right. you very much for coming. All right, take care, Aaron. It's my pleasure. All right, take care, guys. And we are back. Uh, once again, thank you to Sam's father for joining us here on the podcast. That was a wonderful segment to really live in the heart of Big Apple Sports, but we have uh, the rest of the country to worry about as well, Sam. And what I want to start off with is a little bit of MLB news. Unfortunately, we don't have any of those big headline signings that are really going to shake up next season's predictions or standings. But what we do have is just some moves around the league. So one that is uh, neutral for uh, the outlook of next season, um, but I think important to note is that we have the retirement of Howie Kendrick, notorious um, or famous, depending on how you look at it, hero of the 2019 World Series versus the Houston Astros, um, and a guy who just overall had a really wonderful career and really was just a consummate hitter, um, never really hit for too much power, but always, you know, drove extra base hits a little ironically. Um, played decent enough defense, was a role player, was a world champion, 
Um, so congrats, Howie Kendrick, on a great career. And, uh, you know, we'll be interested to see what you do next. Yeah, th- 31 career war, which is really nothing to scoff at. Um, oh, there's guys in the hall with way less than 31 <laughs> career wars. Yeah, 2011 was his best season with a 5.4 war, 123 WRC+. But actually, as a hitter, interestingly enough, his best season was, was 2019, where he had a, a 146 WRC+, and 370 plague appearances, and really just scalded the ball uh, en route to being, as Aaron said, the hero of the 2019 World Series for the Washington That's Nationals. such a good season. Why was he yeah. so good? Uh, of course, 2020, in uh, of course, only 100 plague appearances w- was far less productive. He only had an 82 WRC+. Plus, and, you know, he's he's getting up there in age, is now 37. So, so really, 2019 looked like more of an aberration. And, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I think he could have found his way onto a major league roster if he wanted to. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he felt it was time to hang things up. And and as Aaron said, congrats on a, on a great career. So the next one I want to mention, Sam, that I think is really interesting is that the Red Sox signed Hunter Renfro um, for one year and $3.1 million. Hunter Renfro, of course, was a Padre last year, was a guy who straight up mashed 33 homers in 2019. Um, But I think that the WRC Plus says it all, you know? He hit 33 overs and still had a 98 WRC Plus because he just K'd 31.2% of the time. Last year, he cut down on his Ks a little bit, but lost the homers. The Rays thought maybe they had something and they decided to cut bait. So the Red Sox jump in. And my thought here is just that, like, he may be awful, right? He may just be super bad. But the Red Sox don't exactly have a plethora of major league talent that they're dying to get out on the field. And I think he satisfies that criteria. He has a chance to be a legitimate power threat in a short porch in Boston, put it, you know, put him in the middle third of the lineup and do a little threat for a high OBP guy like JD Martinez and Xander Bogart sitting behind him. I, I don't dislike it. I'll be honest. I think it's the right money for a backup outfielder and he's not someone I'm too bad about getting those ABs. Yeah, I think it's it's certainly worthy of a flyer. And I actually think of an interesting dynamic here and, and you know, I'd have to think back as to like the timing of when all this happened, but you know, Hunter Renfro was acquired by the Rays this past offseason. Presumably the Red Sox current GM, Chaim Bloom, who was a member of oh, the yeah. Rays organization before this, may have been somewhat involved in that decision. So I wonder if in in researching that move, he found some things he liked about Hunter Renfro. And despite sort of the poor results of 2020, sort of still felt those things were there and, and thought it was willing to, to take a flyer on him. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting point, Sam. So... The next one is like a, a quad box of move, basically. The Cubs signed Jonathan Holder, which I know you guys are like, why are you even talking about Jonathan Holder? But so Jonathan Holder has been like a weird, long reliever type guy for the Yankees for the last number of years. He's never been exceptionally good, but he has a couple seasons in 2017, 2018 with FIPS in the mid threes and like a decent number of innings pitched for a reliever. And he's just a guy that I could always kind of see like finding a spot in a rotation with like a, a really good cutter, a pretty good fastball, a pretty good curveball, 
and being like a low innings but like high value guy if that makes sense so while I hope to God the Cubs aren't planning on throwing him immediately into their rotation, no questions asked, or else they're in big trouble next season. Uh, I kind of like it as a look for the Cubs. And on the flip side, in what I think is a corresponding move, the Yankees do end up bringing back Nestor Cortez Jr. This is a guy that they had previously. He kind of bounced around. Um, but I think that I think that he kind of matches that same output of like, maybe he'll give you some starting innings and they could be good, but he's really kind of a long reliever. He fills kind of the same position in the bullpen. So interesting to see them go with Cortez Jr. over Jonathan Holder when I feel like they're pretty comparable. Um, But the Cubs who were in on that move also make what I think is a really interesting move and sign Matt Duffy for 1 million one year. I think this could actually be a really good play as like a utility guy off the bench. Gives you a lot of versatility. Definitely can play third and second. Possibly can play a little bit of shortstop in an extreme pinch. I wouldn't be surprised if they slide him in at first base um, every once in a while when Rizzo might need a rest. Uh, So you know, I, I kind of like it, but you know, it's not much. There's, there's one that I really wanted to ask you about because it kind of, kind of confuses me. Okay. And that's the Rays signing Michael Walker for one year, $3 million. I think he's worth about that much money. I think he deserves a contract somewhere in the MLB, but when the Rays do it, it makes me wonder why, why do they see good enough value in one year, three mil of Michael Walker to to decide to go for it at the expense of some of their younger arms you know i i I have the same thought process because it's like you know i just spent a season of watching michael waka for the mets and i'll tell you i was not impressed at all like he's not he's not been a good major league pitcher for a few years now um and you know but of course you know the rays have earned this tremendous benefit of the doubt where if, if they decide to commit to a pitcher especially, they have such a track record of, of taking these guys that people think nothing of and turning them into, you know, incredibly productive major league pitchers. So the question is, what, what you know, can we look at Michael Walker's profile and find something that maybe the Rays like? And I'll say, you know, his fastball is bad. He doesn't have a dominant second, he doesn't have a dominant breaking ball, but, you know, the one pitch that's looked like a good pitch for him over the last really over his over his whole career but especially over the last few years is his changeup his changeup can at times be dominant and you know of course the rays have often adopted the strategy of you know stop throwing your bad pitches and throw your good pitches more so maybe this <laughs> maybe this is as simple as the rays are going to be like michael waka just throw your changeup a lot and yeah. you know often it's that's not thought of as necessarily a pitch that you can like throw 50 or 60 percent of the time but Devin Williams showed it was it was a possibility this year so you know if if I'm if I'm trying to get in the race mindset and and say what is it that they see in him maybe it's just that yeah and you know I think to his credit he's 29 years old his like underlying metrics are kind of interesting he's accrued positive war for most of his career and uh, like he's not a dumpster fire again like if this was another team if the if the tigers did this i'd be like duh great call like someone's got to throw your innings for the rays to do it i'm always going to ask that second question so 
I guess it's a good point. You know, Sam and I, are, we have our theories, but this is a stumping one. If you guys have any thoughts on this Waka signing, anything else MLB, um, anything Sam's dad and us talked about in the New York sports segment, or anything NBA, feel free to get in touch with us, Twitter, at the Alonzo Bet, or email us, the Alonzo Bet, at gmail.com. After, after that plug, let me actually say one more thing about Waka that, you know, perhaps perhaps we overlooked it. You know, I talked about like, oh, he wasn't good for the Mets last year. And, you know, he certainly wasn't great. But looking at some things, you know, he had a 391 WOBA allowed last year. But his expected WOBA allowed was actually 312. And, you know, he had a fairly good walk rate of only 4.5% in the 93rd percentile. So, you know, maybe the Rays are, are seeing like this is a guy who got quite unlucky last year and and maybe we mm-hmm. can buy buy low on him as well. That That's another thought. Um, yeah, that's definitely a possibility as well. And then they just turn – they can get some good innings out of him and turn him around and trade him. Like never throw him more than a couple innings a game and just have good production. Sam, what do you think Michael Walker's dimensions are? dimensions i don't know yeah don't look what's his height weight don't look on fangraphs what's his height weight i'm gonna guess that he's six five two twenty wow that's so close he's six six two fifteen but first first off how are you six six two fifteen he's a string bean second off he's six six i i remember last year like seeing him next to some other mets and being like oh he's pretty tall yeah wow okay so that's michael walker we'll have to see but sam the the mlb is going to be here we're constantly going to be thinking about it we love it we want it to start back up but it's going to be here for a while we got snow on the ground which means there are no baseballs being played okay what we do have being played is probably our favorite indoor sports i don't want to jump the gun here but um we have basketball coming back tomorrow night it's so weird because it feels like the lakers just cut down the nets like a month ago two months ago now maybe like uh, yeah middle of october but we're back with more nba thanks to uh the ingenuity and vision of adam silver the cue ball who runs the world (laughs) and um Let's let's just talk about what we're seeing. Let's talk about who we like. Let's talk about who we don't like. If there's anything interesting going on, let's just start off with a simple, simple question to get the ball rolling. Sam, do the Lakers repeat? I mean, I, there's no question that they're the favorite. Uh, they're the defending champions, and they've only gotten better this off season with a bunch of really nice role pieces signed, and I'm including in that getting Marcus Saul. I'm including in in that getting Dennis Schroeder. I'm including in that getting uh, Montrez Harrell. I'm including in that getting Wes Matthews. I mean, of course, they're always going to be built around LeBron and AD. And the question about them last year was, what are the role players going to do? And the role players, you know, they stepped up in the playoffs. They played really well. But, you know, I still think there were a lot of question marks associated with people like Rondo, Howard, JaVale McGee, and they've upgraded at all those spots. So, yeah, I think the Lakers are still definitely the the title favorites and, you know, Vegas would agree with us. They're they're the they have the best odds of winning the championship at plus 275. All uh quotes are quoted from the website that cannot be named just so you guys know. So when you play, say plus 275 it's from the crooks 
at the website who cannot be named to still owe us the money from the Alonzo bet. Um, I agree. I have an interesting player to watch here. So the Lakers are good. What are you going to say, right? They're going to need a behemoth to take him down. We'll talk about some of the teams that maybe can, but right now I'm not looking around like, Ooh, I'm scared of any of these other teams to an extreme extent. So um, here's an interesting guy on the Lakers to keep an eye on. Taylor Horton Tucker. And I know this is kind of a popular take right now, but I'm really buying into it. This is a guy who they drafted in the second round in 2019 from Iowa State. Iowa State, of course, gets ignored. They get overlooked. Um, their guys are typically gritty and good in college and struggle in the NBA. But sometimes you get that hard-nosed player from there who ends up being really good. A um, lot of positive reports coming out about THT. And for me, if I'm thinking about a breakout player, how much does it help to have LeBron on your team? Who can make somebody in the NBA look better than they actually are, better than LeBron? I don't think there's anybody. And so keep an eye on this guy. If you want to get cheeky in a fantasy draft uh, and take him in one of the last rounds, if you want to throw just a crazy uh, futures bet on him, he might even be eligible for rookie of the year um there just keep an eye on this guy That's speaking of aaron have we been slyly kicked out of our fantasy basketball league we have been slightly kicked out of our <laughs> fantasy basketball league thanks for bringing that up i still haven't heard about it which means that either we won too much and they decided to just shut it down because nobody cared anymore or they were like what the hell we don't even hang out with aaron anymore because his girlfriend moved away from dc and he brought his fucking friend in and his friend won the league like why are we playing with these guys and they just gave us the slip. But either way, um, you know, that's just how the cookie crumbles, Sam. Uh, you know, we're not playing with them this year, but maybe we can sneak in a high stakes league and take the chips. Uh, Taylor Horton Tucker, by the way, not available for rookie of the year bets on the website that may not be named right now. Um, but we will get to other rookie of the year bets in the future. So Lakers are good. Let's maybe just talk about a couple teams that could challenge them. Yeah, so I, so, I, I think there's maybe a tier of, of three teams that are viewed as like sort of 1A contenders to the Lakers, like or 1B, I guess, if the Lakers are 1A. And and that's the Clippers, the Bucks, and the Brooklyn Nets. So are, 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 is there one of these three that's maybe, you know, you're most interested to talk about, that you're the highest on, that you're the lowest on? Well, so Sam, I, I know you're going off of odds right now, but I actually would throw the heat in that mix. I just don't see how you can not after they like were there last year, basically, and nothing really changed except they swapped Jay Crowder for Mo Harkless and Avery Bradley. Um I have the heat in that tier. So I'll just say that. To well, I guess the only reason I, I guess you wouldn't put them in that tier is that I, I think they've mostly stayed the same while they're, you know, some of their competitors in the East have definitely gotten better. And I'm talking about the Bucks, who, of course, you know, always have been, they've been the best team in the East in the regular season for the last two seasons, have, have sort of gone out in the playoffs, but I think they made massive upgrade by by bringing in Drew Holiday and I'm talking about the Nets who who really made an upgrade simply by virtue of Kevin Durant coming back coming back yeah no that's that's absolutely true but the Nets weren't in the equation last year 
Like, so now they're upgraded into the equation, but I agree. If I'm looking at one of these teams um, in that tier, I'd say it's the Nets with the best chance to, to push them. The Clippers seem like an obvious choice because it's so easy to just forget that Kawhi Leonard, like is also LeBron James and is also Kevin Durant, right? Like he's also one of the, three or four guys in the world who can just say, okay, this is the finals and I'm going to win this time. And so I, you can't really count the clips out. The problem is I hate what they have going there and maybe losing doc will change it, but I just hate the whole Clipper thing. And not from like a personal standpoint, from a basketball standpoint, it doesn't seem to maximize anybody like sitting Kawhi all the time that they do doesn't really seem to make him fresher. In my personal opinion, it seems to make him more fragile and like less hustly for some reason. Paul George is a glass man who I do not trust to stay on the floor for any longer than 18 minutes total in any given season. And I, you know, they have some pieces around there. So for me, if someone's going to push them, it's going to be the Nets. Um, but, you know, they're all good teams. I mean, here, okay. So, I, I mean, here's what I'll say about the Clippers. They were, you know, it was year one of this Kawhi Paul George partnership. And they really did look like the best team in the West before the season was shut down. So maybe you give them, you know, maybe you just give them some, some slack for the weird bubble season. That's fair. Two is that I, you know, they didn't really do much in the off season. They lost Montrez Harrell, um, but I they I got act- Serge Ibaka, which I think is kind of a nice piece. That's what I was gonna say. Is I actually, th- you know, maybe Serge Ibaka is not as good of like a a leader of like a second unit as Montrez Harrell, but I actually like him better as a guy who can play down the stretch for the Sixers. He's a better rim defender. He's he's much better at stretching stretching the floor. Um, and, and knocking and, you know, giving some room to operate for, for PG and, and Kawhi. So I I actually kind of like that fit with this team. The other thing I'll say is that, you know, with the Bucks, I mean, let's, let's talk about the fact that they went all in, traded for Drew Holiday in a trade that Aaron has said he, he does not get. I think it was a lot, but I do get it. I, I think Drew Holiday is a great player. But, you know, Giannis... It's not that I, I don't get it. I think it's extreme. Yeah, yeah. Giannis, Giannis seems to have responded well to this, and he has committed. He signed a five-year, $220 million extension, the biggest contract in, in basketball history, but... Think about how insane those incentives are. Just think about that sentence you said. You're like, they made this trade that's lopsided. And luckily, it seems like their best player really liked that bad decision-making. And he's going to plant to his flag right there in Milwaukee. That makes no sense. But you're right. I agree with the assessment of the situation. But it is crazy that that's the situation. Yeah, the but NBA I'll just right say, now. you know, that is such a massive win for, in you know, in the NBA, it's, it's you know, small market teams like the Bucks don't get players like Giannis Antetokounmpo to commit to super max extensions. Like, yeah, that's, that's a huge win. And he's, you know, we'll see if he wins one. I, I'll be surprised if Giannis doesn't get a championship in, in the next five years, he's just too good of a player, but you know, it's time, it's time to show it. It's time to do something in the playoffs, Giannis. And 
I, you know, until that team shows up in the playoffs, like the team they are in the regular season, it's hard to, it's hard to say they're going to push LeBron and the Lakers. I just, here's the thing with the Bucks, And I'm, you know, I'm kind of speaking out of turn here. Cause like, who am I to criticize, uh, Budenholzer or whatever his name is, the coach of the Bucks. But I don't I don't think he runs the team the right way to let Giannis win a championship. And that's kind of a complicated statement. So let me just like expand on it a little bit. Giannis, I agree, is one of those three or four players that I previously mentioned who can just decide it's my turn and I'm gonna win. Like he can do that. But playoff basketball at least in the Popovich and post-Popovich eras now, is literally chess to an extent. It's like everybody is so locked in with so much energy, playing at pretty much the peak of their performance. And yes, at the end of the day, it is always like personal achievements that run the storylines. But when you watch two like really good, really evenly matched teams, as most of these teams in these top tiers are, it's chess between the players and the coaches. It's they're playing in their minds and playing it out on the court for, and so much of that is the three in today's game. That's where this is going. So much of that is the three and Milwaukee has the three point shooters, but their star is not. I don't think that Budenholzer has found a way to run that chess master story book offense with Giannis not at the center of the volume scoring. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I I think there's no question that the tremendous offensive system that Bud has installed in Milwaukee has, he's failed to make the necessary adjustments in seven game series where, you know, teams are, you know, making, you know, putting like all of their resources into stopping that system. And he's, he's not making quick enough adjustments. I, you know, I, I think there's no question that he's failed to live up to the moment as a playoff coach. That's not to say that he's he can't fix that. You know, I'm I'm sure he's a very smart coach and like maybe he can be like self-reflective and be like, I need to make adjustments quicker this season in the playoffs. But like as you said, like, you know, playoff basketball is such a chess match and Eric Spolstra is, is the Magnus Carlson of that. And and that's why I that's why I agree with you that, you know, it's hard to ever count the heat with, with their system out because cause Spo is just, he's so, he's such a master. Yeah, he's so good. Um, so let's move on to that next tier of, of Team Sam. And in this tier, I'm seeing like the Celtics, the Nuggets, the Sixers, the Raptors, um, the Mavs. Maybe even the Warriors. Yes, the Mavs, sorry. And maybe the Trailblazers. And in this, this is a big group. In this group, I would personally also put the Rockets. So DraftKings has the Rockets like listed in the next tier. Um, but I would put the Rockets and the Jazz probably in this tier as well. Um, of teams that like are solid, but definitely a tier below the top two or three teams in their divisions. Um, and you know, if, if one of these teams won the finals, would I just be floored? No, probably not. Um, 
No, not at all. I mean, you wouldn't really be too shocked to see any of these teams, even the Warriors, who are, in my opinion, by far the worst team on this list. Like, that, it would be okay, but you don't expect it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, maybe we could just say a couple words on each of them. Uh, say what, what you like and dislike. The Celtics, you know, Tatum and, and Jalen Brown, are they're legit. They're really good. I, I wouldn't... I'd be surprised if Jason Tatum won the MVP this year, but I wouldn't be, you know, absolutely shocked. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'd be pretty shocked, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised to see him be second team All NBA. Um, there, there you go. Yeah. Well, how quickly that came down. Yeah. Um, the big question is 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 Kemba's knee okay? Uh, and you know they lost Gorgon Hayward and. You know, yeah, Gorgon Hayward has is really was a disappointment for them after the injury, but they looked terrible after he was hurt in the playoffs. They couldn't do anything. And mm-hmm. you know, they just kind of got trounced by by the Heat. Um and you know, Brad Stevens, good coach, Celtics, they could win the East. You know, it's not crazy, but I you know, I think they're clearly a tier below. Um yeah, that's like how I always feel about them is I'm just like, yeah, like they could win the East, but like they'll still suck when they do it. You know what I mean? Like the way they play basketball now with Brad Stevens is very effective and it's very good, but it's so boring and like, I don't know, bland. So the Nuggets, I love the Nuggets. I mean, me too. Jokic, I mean, for instance, like Jokic is someone I actually would not be super surprised to see MVP win MVP this year. Like that dude is so freaking good. And yeah, and he's and he's like not a favorite, but he's up there yeah. to win MVP. And and you know, if Jamal Murray plays like he did in the playoffs last year, that's that's a second star. That's a legit right. second star. They lost some some depth pieces in like Jeremy Grant to sign sort of a crazy contract with the Pistons. Like, I'm not really sure what they were. What was going on? Why? Uh, But, you know, Jeremy Grant's, like, definitely a good player that they lost. Uh, But, you know, the the other question is, well, can can we just give more minutes to to Michael Porter Jr. now? Uh, And, you know, Michael Porter Jr., a bit of a, maybe a head case... But like that dude's really talented, and like that dude balls. Don't forget when he came out of college, everyone was like, "This is the guy this year. This is the best player in this draft." He lost his first whole season with the injury, and then the first time he gets to play is in the bubble. This is a dude. God, we gotta stop saying this. This is a dude who you're like, if he made a run at MVP, I don't think he'd act legit no, win it. No, Michael Porter Michael Jr. Porter Jr. could go absolutely off. I like him more than your last call, I gotta say. No, no. I mean, maybe three years from now, but but not next year. Um, I mean, so, I mean, the thing with the Nuggets is, like, they could legitimately have the best offense in the NBA. The question's gonna be defense. And, like, mm-hmm. they lost Plumlee and Jeremy Grant, who are, like... Michael Porter Jr., by the way, same odds to an MVP as Kevin Love, CJ McCollum, uh and Julius Randall and Chris Stapps Porzingis. So just keep that in but mind. Not, at the at the not, same time, the not who, Jason I forget Tatum. it. Jason Tatum, you said Jalen Brown. I meant Jason Tatum. Okay. Jalen <laughs> Brown is not on this list. So I'm looking at this through the lens of Jalen Brown. Jason Tatum, obviously, yes, he's in the top ten for uh most likely to do it based on DraftKings odds. Uh so then okay, let let's talk about sort of 
a group uh, of two East contenders, which are the 76ers and the Raptors. Uh, mm-hmm. 76ers, really interesting because, you know, they, they have this Embiid and Simmons uh, combination. They sent Al Horford out of town. They have a new GM in Daryl Morey. Uh, and I think the big question is, like, are they going to swing a trade for James Harden? Because if so, I'm putting them up there in that first tier of, of contenders that are right up there with the Lakers. Um, Agreed. But, you know, a, as they're constructed now... Do Which you, is why if they're able to swing a trade where they get rid of Ben Simmons and get James Harden, like, that'll be the greatest trade in history. Yeah, I mean, it depends what they... what they. I mean, I, I think you do whatever you need to if that's on, if that's on the table. Um, and I think Daryl Morey would, you know. He, he obviously yeah. thinks quite highly of James Harden. Um, but, it, you know, it's it's hard to talk about them as, as a contender outside of that possibility, I think. I, I would agree with you. And honestly, the same kind of goes for the Raptors. Um, you know, they lose Ibaka. They, they keep Van Vliet. They obviously still have Kyle Lowry. They're a good team and a good system. They also just extended OG Ananobi, who, you know, uh, on another sort of team-friendly deal is like four years, 60 or something. Yeah, and he's a good role player for them. They saw Pascal Siakam, who, you know, we don't really know what we're going to get out of him, but he could be quite good again. Um, I just, you know, they couldn't do it when they were stacked. I I have a hard time. Well, I mean, I guess they did it once. But they struggled to do it even when they were more stacked than they are right now in the past, and I have a hard time seeing them doing it now. Now, the West, as we can imagine, is just, as usual, an absolute cluster French. You have basically all of the teams are like, all right. So you have, in this tier, Mavs, Warriors, Blazers, Jazz, Rockets, and just for the just for the fun of it, I'm going to throw the Suns in there. I mean, I, I think if you're throwing the Suns in there, you you also got to talk about the Pelicans. I think the Suns are better, but, you know, let's... let's if yeah, fair about, enough. If we're talking about teams that can maybe, like, that are going to compete for the eighth seed. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, and so I think of those, like, they kind of go in order. Like, I think the Mavs are the best team. Luka Doncic is the odds-on favorite to win the MVP right now, basically, like, just a hair above LeBron, I think. Um, and we know what they have there. They do have some good, like, side pieces, but they didn't do too much. They really just got Josh Richardson. So they're still kind of comprised of what they were originally. And again, like, I think this is a good team who's going to finish, like, solid four or five range. Um, but this is a team that I don't see seriously contending for a title. I mean, I, um, for me, it all depends is like, can Luca take even another step? Because if Luca is just like the best player in basketball, then it's, it's hard to like totally count them out. Um, that's fair. That's a fair point. And you know, um, the, the other question is like, can KP return to sort of the, what everyone was imagining for him before he had this this initial injury with the Knicks. He's certainly shown flashes, mm-hmm. uh, but you know he's not he's not really shown any consistency of looking like a superstar in this league. Uh, but you know it, it, it often takes some time to come back from injuries. But but I mean KP, this is a guy who before his injury had like this ten game span with the with the Knicks where he looked like a future superstar. Um, to start the the season, I think it was three years ago, and I actually remember uh, Herolibus Vulgaris, who is one of the basically the best uh, NBA gamblers of all time. He actually works in the Mavericks organization now. I remember him tweeting something in that span, you know, like 
if I can choose one young player to build around, it's KP over Giannis. Obviously, that that looks like a wrong take now, but I, but but I'm just trying to illustrate like how good KP looked for like a small stretch of games, uh, and like if there's some possibility that he returns to that level, then suddenly there's like two superstars on that team. I'm just trying to imagine realities where you could talk about the Mavericks as a team competing for a championship. Yeah. And I think that's totally fair. That's a good perspective to have because at the end of the day, like when you compare them with somebody like the Pelicans, you know, if you're looking at the Pelicans best case scenario, what is it right like julius randall has a career year randall is on the knicks now oh sorry 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 um zion like really breaks out you have uh the original ball now that we've got three balls yeah. in the nba you have the original ball be like a really solid point guard um i i like no matter what their best case scenario is like i don't see a way that the pelicans could contend for the championship i see a way they could contend for the eight seed but when you look at the Mavs, you're like, yeah, their best case scenario is that they have the best NBA player on the planet and they have a real sixth man of the year contender as good as oh, like on the worst end of this best case scenario or as good as, you know, a top 15 player in the league in KP if he just like really, you know, breaks out. Um for me, that outcome is a little bit unlikely, but it, it is a good perspective. So with the Warriors, I just want to point out, like, first off, that I hate the Warriors. Second off, that it's crazy, crazy, crazy that before the injury to Clay, they were in the like tier of the Heat and the Celtics. And then they just dropped down all the way like into the middle of the pack because... Clay is so important on that team. Just Steph alone with a little bit of Draymond is not enough to get it done. I mean, Clay is a when he's healthy is a top fifteen player in the league. He's he's absolutely incredible, and and he's he's really important not just as you know one of the greatest shooters to ever live, but as as a defender for them. Like he's really important defensively. Um, and I I so I will say about the Warriors, like I'm excited to see the next iteration of just like letting Steph go crazy again mm -hmm. because like when he was doing that before KD came like those back-to-back -back MVP years like that was like that's that's as exciting as like I've ever remember like a basketball player being in my lifetime like yeah. when Steph would just like go super say on mode and just like jack up threes from anywhere and just make them it's just like okay I don't think the Warriors, like, I wouldn't be shocked if the Warriors missed the playoffs this year. I also wouldn't be super shocked if they got, like, the four or five seed because Steph was just, like, absolutely unstoppably amazing. Uh, and they I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they get the three seed. Yeah. But, the, I uh, mean, the, the difference, of course, being is that, like, Draymond is just, like, not the player he used to be. Um mm -hmm. So, and they don't have Iguodala anymore, of course. It's like, this isn't the same team that, you know, went 73 and 9 without Kevin Durant. But, right. Uh, one team that I definitely want to talk about, and, and I really love what they did this offseason, is the Portland Trailblazers. And, mm -hmm. and they've just, like, you know, this duo of, of Dame and, and McCollum hasn't been able to get it done. But, I mean, Dame is an un 
disputable superstar in this league. He's a top 10 yeah. player. He's an absolute killer in the playoffs. I mean, Dame's done more in the playoffs than you could argue like anyone besides like LeBron, KD, Steph, Kawhi. Like you maybe can't name another guy that's done more in the playoffs than Dame. Like, Not in terms of just like ice cold game winners. Yeah, in, ter- in terms of just like big time shot making, like Dame's that. And like another thing is that they like they didn't have Nurkic for like all of last season until he came back in the bubble and he looked so good in the bubble. So if well, like people forget how good he was when he left, like yeah, we were looking at him like you know we talked earlier about uh, Jokic. They were in the same breath before he was injured. People were talking about that in the same way. Now, Jokic made huge strides, and we're only looking at uh, Yusuf Nurkic, like, hopefully coming back to where he was. But we can't forget that this was a big-time talent and probably still is. Yeah, and then the other the other move that I, I loved for them was getting Robert Covington. because big like shot, Bob, baby. Because, because Robert Covington is like, okay, he's a guy that's, like, simultaneously a bit overrated and a bit underrated because, like, Agreed. Like I, you know, he's such a like he's he's he can make threes. He's a really good defensive player. Can you run an offense through him? No, but you have Dame Lillard. You have C.J. McCollum. He's such a good fit with these guys. Where like he's going to be able to guard the wing because again, like Dame and C.J. McCollum are like they're like it's it's somewhat weird to have like your best players be guards because because mm-hmm. like they're going to be small on defensive defensive side teams can try to pick on them defensively and tire them out from running the, the offense. But when you have a great wing defender like Covington, Nurkic can guard the rim. Zach Collins is good defensively. Um, I actually like Melo as like a bench scorer for them. Like, yeah, let, no, me too. Like let, you know, let Dame take a rest every now and then let, let Melo run the second unit. Like I, I really like the team construction and I, I could see that the trailblazers getting the three seed. Like, I, I hope so because I love the Blazers. They're they're so sick. I'd love to see them go on another run. Like just the culmination of uh, Lillard's like whole career and and kind of persona. Um, so that kind of leaves us with Jazz Rockets Suns. So let's just kind of skip the Jazz and say it all stayed the same pretty much. Yeah, um, I mean, the question is: Is Mike Conley gonna be? the player that they were expecting when they got him last year and can Donovan Mitchell continue the level of play he showed in the playoffs and, and really and can he improve? Yeah. And elevate into, into superstar. Yeah. Um, those are the questions for the jazz. I, you know, again, they're a good team. They're always going to play good, hard nosed defense. I'm not sure they're ever going to have enough on offense to, to really compete with the best, with the best teams in the playoffs. And then the Rockets are extremely easy because it strictly comes down to do they have Harden or not? If they have Harden, they're probably in the same tier as they're they're a little bit higher in the tier that they're in right now. If they don't have Harden, they're lower than they are right now, right? They're kind of like rated at uh, you know sixty to one as as basically. 50 50 of whether they are going to get Harden or not, like somewhere right in the middle of where they should be. Um, and so we'll just have to see what happens. You know, they played around the edges. They went out and got DeMarcus Cousins. Um, they lost Covington. They got John Wall. They lost Russ. So they've been moving around a little bit. They got and, and Christian I don't think Wood. They're... 
Who's Christian Wood? That's who I was looking for. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't think their team, if they keep Harding, got that much worse. If anything, they might have maybe improved a little bit, but we'll have to we'll have to see. Again, we can see as we've talked many, many, many times in this show for some reason. I, it's going to be hard for this construction, I think, to win a championship. So Pelicans we talked about, and then that just leaves my Phoenix Suns. I've been itching, crossing the list down to get here. They get at, they get CP3, as we've mentioned. They got D-Book. Aiton's healthy and ready to just absolutely wreck the rim. And this is, this is the time for them to snag that six seed, get in the playoffs, let CP3 do a little bit of magic, win the first round, and then, you know, you never know. What's, you do pretty much know what's going to happen, but you never know what's definitely going to happen until it happens there. I think the Suns are one of the best eight teams in the West. I, I think they'll be in the playoffs. Um, That's... I'd love to hear that. And, and I wouldn't be surprised to see, like, Devin Booker make an all-NBA team. Like, he, he's he's really good. He's uh, so good. And I'm really interested to watch him finally on a contender. Because, like, you know, I you know I wouldn't be surprised to see him average 27 points a game. Like, he, he's just a professional go-get-a-bucket guy. And, you know, the question on him has been defensively, but he's got – you know, the athleticism, I think, to be a decent wing defender and just hasn't really been in the environment to care. Mm-hmm. So, like, maybe he can be a, a good defender on on a contending team. I think a big question is, can Aiden be something? Uh, yeah. CP3 will certainly help a lot. Um, he, he was. So you know CP3 can run yeah. with big men like that. We know he can board, but he hasn't shown it in the NBA yet. He's he's getting there. This has got to be the year for him, though. Yeah, the, the thing you. about Igan is like I'm not I'm certainly not ready to call him a bust, but like it just like hurts so bad to like that they took him over Luca. Yeah, we know. Uh, Think about Luca and D Book in the same offense. Ooh. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I I think we've we've sort of run through all the teams that I think sort of realistically have a shot to play meaningful basketball in the playoffs. Is there is there one team that like you have any thoughts about uh, as as an outside shot or something? That are yeah, so to you. Yeah, so there's just like two other teams really that I think are even worth the, you know their price of rise, and that's the Wizards with Raz never 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 for the championship but definitely for a sneak in in the east which is bullshit maybe take a playoff series or something like i don't think that people have them there they're certainly not favored to get into the playoffs at all um but i I definitely could see them sneaking in in the east which i i think is an absolute dumpster fire and the other is the grizzlies if john morant morant what if john morant continues to progress we could be looking at a top point guard in the league and that is a amazing cornerstone to have for any franchise i think adding some small pieces around him I, I, you know the grizzlies are the grizzlies are a very respectable team um and i think that they're if we're looking at two teams that could definitely sneak in and, and maybe make it make some noise that's what i'm looking at the other thing i'll say about the grizzlies is jaron jackson jr is really good he, right yes thank you he's really good um I well, let me say a couple words about the Knicks because you know they're not going to be in the playoffs probably, but it seems like they're finally building the right way. They mm-hmm. they're they're they they're they're getting these draft picks. RJ, I'm really interested to see what he looks like this year. It seems like from some preseason games that he's improved 
his handle a bit. He's improved his free throw shooting, which was a big question for him. Uh, I'm, you know, still questioning is his perimeter shooting, but he's a lot of, he just has great feel for a young player. A lot of like really good finisher around the rim, uh, really good vision and passing. I'm really excited to see him take another step this year. And as my dad said, as every Knicks fan has been saying, you know, Emmanuel quickly could be the steal of the draft, uh, has looked incredibly impressive in, of course, limited preseason action. But, you know, there's, of course, a lot of history of of Kentucky players being sort of undervalued in the draft because John Calipari, while he is a tremendous recruiter, is an awful basketball coach and does not get the most out of his, his players at the does, – does not seem to utilize their talent well, basically, I'll, I'll say, or at least not in a way that sort of showcases their talent to, to the NBA. Um, we're talking about Devin Booker, Jamal Murray – Tyler Hero, all guys who were like not really given the opportunity to play on ball as much as they've shown they're capable of in the NBA. And because of that, we're maybe a little undervalued in the draft. I'm wondering if Emmanuel quickly is the next example of this. So that actually brings us to a really good spot because um, Emmanuel quickly was one of our favorite long shot odd bets for rookie of the year. Sam, what I want to do now is I want to just go through three awards, MVP, six man of the year, rookie of the year, give your pick to win it, your favorite bet and your favorite long shot. Sure. Okay. So let's start, let's start with MVP and I can go first if you want, since I just gave you the format. Yeah, go ahead. So MVP for me, I'm going to go with AD. I think that the Lakers are going to be extremely good again. And like, he never really got it. And I think LeBron just continues to let him eat. So I'm going to go with AD as if I had to pick somebody. I'm going to go with my favorite bet as Kawhi Leonard, 25 to one. I just, I mean, it's Kawhi. Like, I guess they could continue to sit him, but I don't think that's going to happen. And then my favorite long shot here, and this is tough because there's a lot of guys I like that are extremely long odds. But if I had to pick one long shot, I'd probably go, oof, it's tough. It's so tough. Um, I got to give you two. I got to give you D'Angelo Russell and Fred Van Viet, both at 500 to one. (laughs) I just think that, you know what? Those odds probably aren't right. I if I think if anything, that's overstating their odds of winning the MVP. Interesting. There's okay, no, okay. There's no world in which Fred Van Vliet or D'Angelo Russell are the MVP. Um, okay, I don't know. So, my, I'm I'm going. You know, I I'm gonna go Luca for my pick. Uh, okay. I just that's know, so boring. It's so. Boring. I, I know it's, it's boring, but I think he's you know I think he's gonna take a whole nother step. I mean, he's still so young. And I think also, like, the NBA MVP is all about narrative um, often. You'll see guys basically have the same season back-to-back, but if they won it last year, they're, they're so going to back out of the consideration. I don't think Giannis is going to— I agree. Giannis isn't going to win it again. People are like— That's precisely why I didn't pick yeah. Giannis, because they don't, you don't want to pick back-to-back MVPs. And he's already won back-to-back, but I think the feeling on Giannis is going to be that until he does something in the playoffs, people are going to sour on him as an MVP pick. Uh, yeah. people love Luca. Uh, I think he's going to win. Um, the, my, my favorite bet 
uh, because Luke is, of course, the betting favorite, and I actually don't really even like him that much at four to one. Uh, my favorite bet is Jokic at twenty two to one. That's good. I think Jokic he gets better every year, and if the Nuggets just have the best offense in basketball, sneak into the two seed in the West, maybe even like some outside shots at the one seed if the Lakers just like don't really care about the regular season, mm-hmm. like I. That I could see that as a path to Jokic winning the MVP, and 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 that's my favorite bet. If we're going long shots, I'm not I'm not necessarily going as long as you, uh, because honestly, I think those 500 to one bets are just like, I, I think there are certain guys that you could just like, the NBA is such a star league that you're just gonna like round their chances to zero. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, I would think something like Donovan Mitchell at 80 to one. Might be a decent long shot bet. At that point, take Cat at 150. Well, that I was just about to say that as my second long. Okay, shot. okay, cool. The, the thing is, like, I don't think the Timberwolves are going to be in the playoffs, and like the idea of right, uh, the idea of like a player winning the MVP in the NBA without making the playoffs seems insane. But like, Cat at 150 to one, Jamal Murray at 150 to one, you could also maybe, I could maybe get behind. Pascal Siakam at one fifty to one. You know those those are bets that I could maybe get. I don't like Pascal Siakam there, but I do like those bets. That that's a range that I can mess with. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to see the way that um, MVP odds are in the NBA versus the MLB because in the NBA you have like four guys, five guys below ten to one basically. And then a handful of guys from 10 to 100, and then just a ton of guys from 100 to like 500. But in the MLB, I feel like you have a lot more guys in the like two plus 2,000 to plus 5,000 range than you do in the NBA. Yeah, because I mean, it's much easier to have a, you know, a big of a, a random MVP yeah. season. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so let's do sixth man of the year, Sam. Why don't you start us off this time? So for six man of the year, I mean, this is always like a hard award to to look at. The guy I'm going to choose is uh, is Dennis Schroeder, uh, basically because I think the Lakers are going to be resting LeBron. They're not going to be pushing LeBron and AD that much in the regular season. And because of that, I, I think Schroeder is going to get a lot of minutes, be able to rack up the stats He's not a great player, but he's he's a good player. He's certainly an improvement as a as as that second unit point guard. He might even start a bit for them. So mm-hmm. you know, I I like Schroeder as as my pick. If we're looking for for the bet, I like the most. I really actually like Luke Kennard at at fifty to one. Uh, Ended up on the Clippers in a trade. They just gave him a pretty big extension. I think four years, sixty-four million. So clearly, they like the guy. And if he if he gets decent minutes, he's a great shooter. Um, could could score in bunches. So you know, I, I I actually like that as like as a good value bet. Yeah. So in this one, I think my um, my pick and my favorite pick or the and my favorite bet are the same. It's Tyler Hero at twenty-five to one. Um, I just, you know, if he just plays like kind of at all, like he did last year, I almost feel like it's a lock. Um, and so I think 25 to one is, uh, a bit long on him. Obviously it's not because six men years pretty random. Um, but it is a bit long on him. 
Um, if I, 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 this is the place to shoot a long shot, by the way, Sam, like a six man of the year is a place to take it a hundred to one. And that's why they don't even go up to 500 to one. But in this regard, I might take someone crazy. I'm going to give you two again, Jamichael green at a hundred to one for the nugs. Now. I think that's a good pick. He's shown a lot of ability in the past and Bobby Portis, like this man totally has a new job and he could just absolutely go off playing for the bucks um you know he's not afraid to shoot and he's in a position where he's going to get a lot of open looks so um i you know sam you know bobby portis well yeah, uh, he's I, super volatile but I, at 101 i don't know i will say with bobby portis is that i mean bug is not going to put up with his little bullshit post-up stuff like yeah that's it, true it, that's for sure it, he's in the middle of the paywall Giannis is trying to drive if if he does that then he's he's sitting but you know if if he just if he just only shoots threes and stuff, I could see it. Um, mm-hmm. I like sort of for similar reasons to why I said I liked um, Schroeder for for six man. I'm gonna go with Kuzma as my long shot, which is just mm-hmm. that I think the Lakers are gonna be giving a lot of minutes to their bench because I I just don't think they're gonna you know they just had this finals run. They're gonna need to like let LeBron and AD take a rest in this very short and abbreviated off season. So like yeah. I think bench players are going to be getting a lot of minutes, and because of that, I think they're going to be able to accumulate sort of the stats necessary to win an award like this. That's a I think that's a really good guess. So, um, Sam, for rookie of the year, because our knowledge is limited, you can object to this if you want. But I think let's just save our favorite bet and the long shot. Let's roll them into the same one that we did on your advice, which is Emmanuel quickly at fifty to one. Do you want to say a quick word about him before we give our our guesses? Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I've watched two games of his in the preseason. <laughs> he's the best point guard the Knicks have had in five years. Uh, like, he, he's 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 a dog on defense, just constantly trying, getting his hands in passing lanes, stealing the ball. Very good shooter, shot over 40% from three with Kentucky. Um, has a good touch in the paint, can finish with a teardrop. Doesn't have elite vision, but is seems like a decent passer. Um, and, you know, I think Tibbs is going to let him. You know, of course, Tibbs has always had a problem with playing young guys, but, I mean, I'm hoping that he's sort of heard the criticism and he's not going to be able to keep him out of the starting rotation if he, keep, if he keeps playing like he did. So it's basically like I think there's going to be the narrative of, you know, the best point guard New York scene in a long time. There's going to be the production if he's giving the minutes, and there's going to be the efficiency because he's a good shooter. So that that's why I like him at the 51 odds. Yeah, and uh, you definitely convinced me. For my pick, I want to preface it by saying this award is LaMelo's to lose. As you mentioned with the MVP, the NBA is so story-driven, and for all the problems they have with what a nutcase LeVarber, or, uh, <laughs> their dad is, LaMelo, or <laughs> Lamar Ball, Oh my God. For whatever type of thorn he is in their side, um, he makes for a storyline. He garners attention for the NBA as a whole. And this is something that would be beneficial to the NBA for him to win, I think, because his brother obviously did not have uh, the same type of success they were hoping. But I don't like LaMelo Ball, and I don't think he is going to win the Rookie of the Year. So I will make a different pick. And there's a couple guys you could go with here. I think it's a pretty big toss-up. But at the end of the day, I'm going to go with James Wiseman. 
Um, just because I don't see any of these guys with the possible exception of LaMelo Ball having the offensive output necessary to make this award driven by crazy offensive play this year, if that makes sense. Like for a rookie of the year to win it for like just offense, you really have to be a tremendous scorer your rookie year. You have to do Trey Young, Luka Doncic type things. Um, so I don't see that in any of these guys, except maybe the mellow ball. So to me, I think the most well-rounded player is James Wiseman. And he's going to have the opportunity to do that in Golden State system. Um, but as I said, I really think in the top six, basically of betting odds, it could go anyway. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I've heard people argue that, that OB Toppin should be considered the favorite because, you know, he's just going to be given a lot of minutes and, and is already a very good offensive player, despite being a disaster defensively. And, and I will say, having watched him in some Knicks preseason games, it, the defense was not pretty. Uh, <laughs> the guy who I think will be the best rookie, although I'm not sure if that will translate to him winning rookie of the year, is Tyrese Halliburton, who was viewed by many as like the most NBA-ready prospect in the draft. He can shoot the three. He has the vision. Very good on-ball guard defender. Uh, Not a league athleticism, but, you know, he's at 15 to 1, and you know, with the Kings, I think they're going to give him a chance to play. So I think, you know, he can go out there and just be a really good all-around player. And again, might not generate the offensive stats necessary to win, but I think in terms of like being a winning basketball player, he could be up there. I, I think a lot of like more statistical models had him as like the best player in the draft. Uh, and he ended up dropping to, to, I think, 11 or 12 with the Kings. So the Kings, yeah. really a, a steal for them in the draft, according to a lot of really smart people in the league. Uh, and I could see him having a, a shot at the award. I love that pick, Sam, because we also talked about him on draft night. And like he is the type of guy that's just going to have success in the NBA. He's got the skill set that perfectly matches the game right now. He's got the basketball IQ. He's got the hustle and the work ethic. Like when I, you know, went to take a look at him earlier today, what's the first thing that comes up? There's all these articles about GMs praising his like locker room conduct and all this stuff that is a rookie, like you don't see about other guys. And it's not that it makes him a better player on the court, but it puts him in a better environment to succeed. And he obviously has the skill set because he did it. NCAA D1 major conference. So um, I like that pick a lot. Well, with that, I guess we'll just have to wait and see how the ball drops when the sun rises tomorrow. Uh, NBA season is starting tomorrow, Tuesday the 22nd. So probably later in the evening as you listen to this tomorrow. Um, we're super excited for it. We're going to have all the news for you, just like we do with baseball, football, um, and everything else that we really like and we care about. So thanks for stopping by again. Thanks to Mr. Saskin for the guest appearance. Sam, thanks for going home so we could hear from uh, someone, a true born and bred New Yorker. And uh, with that, anything you want to say, anything you want to plug today, Sam? Uh, not really, just that I'm I'm super excited for the NBA to start again. And, and as I've been saying every week, and it's just never happening, like when are these big MLB free agents going to drop? And hopefully We're... for the Mets. We're just waiting, but trust me, when they drop, we'll be back on here with you, giving you all the latest news and breakdown. Um, thanks for rocking with us tonight and every other night for the Alonzo Bet. We're your hosts. I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. Have a good night, folks.